Hi everyone, welcome to the Physionic Podcast. My name is Nicholas Verhoeven. I'm a PhD candidate in molecular medicine and a cell biology researcher. Uh, today we're going to be discussing metabolism, but specifically metabolism of cancer and tumors and how sugar is used by particular cancer cells to help them survive. So if you're interested in that, then uh, be sure to stick around. Now this uh, particular information is gonna be coming from a scientific review that uh, I read, took notes on and whatnot. So I'm going to be going through kind of the different hypotheses as to why particular cancers use a lot more sugar than they do fat and uh, what might be some of the biological advantages of that particular situation. So I'm gonna, as I'm going through, of course, on the video podcast, I'm gonna have a few graphics to kind of give you an idea of where these things are happening, uh, kind of you know, start from a general perspective, and then kind of we, as we whittle our way down into the more molecular aspects, uh, so we can get a, a more complete education on the whole process. Uh, but as usual, if you're just listening to the podcast, don't worry. Um, this one is actually not going to have any primary data. So it's not like you have to actually look at bar graphs or anything like that, like I typically have. Um, it's going to be purely descriptive. So Without further ado, let's go ahead and discuss this. So this particular effect or this particular uh, metabolic condition uh, that cells undergo is really something that all of our cells are capable of doing. Um, so our cells have the ability to use fat molecules. They have the ability to use sugar molecules known as glucose, and they can use fructose molecules, and they can use a variety of different uh, molecules. But the main two that people focus on is fat and glucose or sugar. Now, some of our cells are more prone to using one over the other. And if you look at, for example, muscle cells, there's a high degree of flexibility in terms of their ability to use more of one substrate, meaning glucose or fat, or another substrate glucose or fat. When I say substrate and uh, nutrition molecule, those are the same thing. So cancer cells also have this ability because, well, cancer comes from us. Uh, so they are dysregulated cells that end up proliferating or they end up uh, creating many, many more versions of themselves and in an uncontrolled fashion. And some of these cancer cells have a propensity to focus in on one substrate in particular, which is sugar or glucose. And that effect is called the Warburg effect. So when you have a tumor that's built up in your body, uh, that's a growth that's starting to really get out of control, uh, that can be in kind of the early stages of cancer. And then of course you eventually have a potential metastasis that occurs from that, meaning that the cancer then leaves the tumor and goes to other areas of the body and starts to infiltrate those areas of the body. Now, certain tumors tend to have a more, what's known as a glycolytic, uh, phenotype. Let me break that down. So a glycolytic phenotype is a reliance on glucose, a reliance on sugar, blood sugar in this situation. Um, so yes, some of it, you might be thinking, okay, well, maybe that has to do with the sugar that I consume. Is that related? It is, 
but I, I want to caution you here. I don't want you to think that if you stop eating carbohydrates, therefore you're stopping uh, glucose, uh, that suddenly that's going to cure your cancer. We are not talking about that. Um, there's a lot more intricacy here. I'm not going to go into it, but you, you have to trust me here. There's a lot more intricacy than just cutting out carbs and therefore all cancer just disappears. Certain cancers thrive on no carbs. Certain cancers might be affected by that, but there's still certainly a lot more nuance that gets applied. So anyway, these tumors, certain tumors, can have a increase in their glycolytic capacity, meaning that they focus in, they use a lot more glucose than they do fat molecules. And that process is called the Warburg effect. Now, interestingly, Typically, the association between glucose and the cells that are found within uh, the, the tumor that are cancer cells, uh, that there is typically, they have perfectly functioning mitochondria, and yet they typically don't use their mitochondria because glucose is associated with usually a lack of use of mitochondria. Usually when you think of mitochondria, you think about fat oxidation or fat breakdown, fat use for energy. Those are all the same. So it's peculiar that these cells would have a lot of mitochondria and yet don't focus on fat. They focus on glucose. So what's going on there? So there's a variety of different ideas that have been kind of postulated and that's really what I'd like to go a little bit more into detail with. There's going to be four different ideas that I'm going to present to you. And some of them may be more accurate than others. Uh, and maybe it's a combination of these different ideas. But ultimately, it's going to give us an idea of why cancer might function the way that it does in relation to these types of cancers. And there is a, a, a good amount of variability when it comes to the use of the Warburg effect. Just again, just to make sure we're 100% clear here, the Warburg effect is the use, the cells using more glucose than fat molecules. So focusing on glucose to produce the energy necessary for uh, survival. So there is a considerable amount of variability between these, uh, these, these different uh, cancer types. So what typically happens and something that's, that's also ra rather peculiar is the fact that these cancer cells can take up glucose and then they end up producing a byproduct known as lactate. And this lactate is a byproduct of what's known as anaerobic glycolysis. So let me break that down for you. So anaerobic glycolysis is the cell, and this is any cell, not just cancer cells, this is actually uh, incredibly uh, highly, highly used by our muscle cells, but certainly other cells as well, although typically it's considered healthy or okay in muscle cells, and it's usually not considered very healthy in other cells. If you have this occurring in your heart cells, for example, you are in trouble. Uh, let me just say that much. But ultimately, let's go back to cancer here. When glucose blood sugar uh, enters the cancer cell, then it goes through glycolysis. Now glycolysis can be broken up into two different sections. Glycolysis is a, is a metabolism style. It's, it's a way to convert a single glucose molecule 
into it goes through a, a variety of different steps where the molecular structure of that glucose molecule is is changed and out at the very end of this glycolysis metabolism it spits out what's known as a pyruvate molecule so from glucose to pyruvate and it goes through a variety of different steps to get there now this is the the break point then because then you have these two branches of glycolysis. So you have this pyruvate molecule. And here, if you typically, what the cells would do is if they have sufficient ability to do so, and I'm not gonna go into the specifics of what that ability is, but if they have sufficient, subst or sufficient uh, conditions to allow this to happen, they will take the pyruvate molecule and produce energy in the mitochondrion. Okay, this is called aerobic glycolysis. We, however, are concerned with anaerobic glycolysis. So if there isn't sufficient context for it, then this pyruvate molecule will be turned into a lactate molecule. And that's what I was alluding to earlier. So this lactate molecule then gets shunted back out of the cancer cell and this is the peculiarity that although these cancer cells have mitochondria and they could be going through this aerobic glycolysis that's not to say that they aren't at all but they they have this propensity to focus on anaerobic glycolysis so and we get this evidenced by this rise in lactate that uh, gets produced that gets kicked out of these these cells and during this process they're producing ATP they're producing adenosine triphosphate the the energy substrate so what is what's going on here essentially what what is actually producing this uh, lactate if you're watching the video podcast uh, the L there that L molecule is supposed to represent lactate so what does that ultimately mean? So there's a variety of different thoughts as to why that might be the case. Uh, hypothesis number one is that it allows for rapid ATP synthesis, ATP being again adenosine triphosphate, which is the energy currency of the cell. It's the uh, molecules that the cell uses for energy, just like we use, let's say in the United States, the dollar bill is what we use as our currency. So we don't use the, the Deutsche Mark or anything like that. Of course, that's kind of antiquated at this point. But the point is that uh, we, don't, we don't recognize that. So the cells recognize ATP specifically, and they use that for energy. So, but however, per glucose molecule, so per single glucose molecule entering the cell, ATP synthesis is pretty poor by comparison to uh, fat to the use of fat. So if you were to compare one glucose molecule entering the, uh, the cell and going through glycolysis compared to one fat molecule entering the cell and undergoing through the mitochondria and going into its own metabolic pathway, um, which is called beta oxidation and a bunch of other things, oxidative phosphorylation, not really all that important. The point is that if you were to compare the two in terms of the amount of ATP generated, glucose is far, far lower in terms of its ability to generate ATP. So why? Why would the cell use glucose? Okay, so the reason is, 
the postulated reason is that the rate of production is much higher. So while the fat molecule does generate more ATP per molecule, the speed of that generation is much, much lower. Anywhere from 10 to 100 times faster with glucose than with a fat molecule. Or through glucose going into the mitochondria and, and um, being oxidized or being used for energy through the mitochondria. So this production of lactate, this anaerobic glycolysis, is can be up to 100 times faster in terms of the generation of ATP. So is it incredibly wasteful? Yes, it is. It's incredibly wasteful. But the cancer cell may not care. Not that it's sitting there thinking about it, but it may actually offer a selective advantage to these cells. Why might that be? Just if you were to think about that, if you were to think about a cancer cell sucking up glucose from its surroundings, why might that offer a selective advantage to that cell or that grouping of cells? Think of like a tumor. You're talking about millions and millions and millions of these cells. Well, that means that it robs the surrounding tissue, which is normally functioning, which is taking up glucose and fat uh, in normal proportions that it normally would from the bloodstream. The cancer, the tumor, is sucking up all of the glucose in the surrounding area. Now that deprives the other tissue around that tumor of the glucose. So therefore, although it's highly inefficient, it actually more so negatively impacts the surrounding tissue than it impacts the cancer because the cancer gets to it, gets to this, these glucose molecules, takes them up and robs them, takes them away from any sort of normal tissue that might be downstream of this blood system. So in that way, it could be an advantage uh, for the cancer cells. So this is, this is one potential reason as to uh, why this might be occurring. And I just threw up a, a, a video um, on the on the video screen, I, I put up a, a little schematic here that, you know, that by comparison, it's disproportionately the glucose, the sugar, blood sugar is disproportionately going to the tumor to the cancer cells, because they are just blasting through this these molecules, and they're producing large amounts of lactate and kicking that back out into the uh, into the extracellular to the outside environment of the tumor. And the normal cells, on the other hand, are not getting uh, nearly as much, getting much, much less, which may make them to may make them less functional as well and may make them weaker uh, to then potentially resist the cancer or whatever it might be. If we're talking about immune cells, it could affect them as well. And we're actually going to go into that a little bit as well. Okay. That was hypothesis number one, which is very plausible, certainly, and it makes good amount of sense, although there are certain issues with that, which I'm not going to go into all the different issues of each one of these, but all four of these hypotheses do have some pushback against them, so I don't want you to think that this is gospel or anything like that. Um, hypothesis two is much simpler. It's possible that the cancer cells are sucking up all of this glucose because not because they're, they're so much interested in the actual molecules themselves, the, the energy production potential of these molecules, but in the carbon construct of the molecules. So let me, let me go into a bit of chemistry here. Um, 
when you're thinking about a molecule, what is a molecule? A molecule is a grouping of different atoms. Uh, you've probably heard of what an atom is. Uh, <laughs> we're getting really into the weeds here, but you've heard of what an atom is. If you look on like the periodic table, for example, that's a listing of varieties of different types of atoms and or groupings of atoms. And if we take an atom and then we stitch it together with another atom, then we've got a molecule, just like uh, the oxygen that's floating around is an O2. So it's two oxygen atoms that are stitched together to make O2. Well, similar thing with sugar, right? It's a much more complex molecule, but it is a molecule. It is a, it is a variety of different atoms that are stitched together um, in a particular conformation, in a particular uh, look. It has to have a particular structure. So that molecule is made up largely of carbon atoms. That's why I'm saying it could be that the cells are taking up this glucose, not for the ability for glucose to generate ATP, which it does through glycolysis, anaerobic glycolysis as well, but that the, 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 the sucking up of all these glucose molecules may be because of this need for these carbon atoms, because carbon is vital, absolutely vital for our survival, for, for any biological survival, at least on, on planet Earth, um, and probably everywhere else as well, to be honest with you, just because of the sheer amount of carbon that exists. So it's possible that they're sucking up these glucose molecules, breaking them up from their structure, taking the carbon atoms and producing other molecules that need to be made. And we're actually going to touch on that as well. So ultimately, it leads to the generation of nucleotides, which are used for DNA. Um, it also could be used for lipids to actually generate fat molecules and to also use for particular proteins because certain proteins, certain amino acids that make up proteins, so the building blocks that make up proteins, um, can be made by the cells. They're called non-essential amino acids. So that all could lead to the second hypothesis, the biosynthesis hypothesis. Okay, number three the microenvironment. We actually already touched on this a little bit, but it's possible that this elevation in lactate production, remember the, the extrusion of a lactate from the cancer cells as they're sucking up glucose, uh, could reduce the microenvironment. What do I mean by microenvironment? So that you've got a tumor, right? Well, within, between each cell, there's space, and that space is a microenvironment. It's a context. It's an environment that the cells are sticking to. It's there. It could be made of uh, fibrotic tissue. It could be like collagen and things like that, that the cells can actually stick to. It's like I'm currently sticking to a chair. I am uh, anchored to this chair. Uh, it's, it's part of my environment. Um, the same thing for cells. They don't just float around. I mean, some of them do. But uh, for cancer cells, in this, in this particular situation when they're in a tumor, they're not going to be floating around. Unless, of course, they metastasize, in which case they will actually be moving uh, somewhere else. And then they create a new microenvironment. But focusing on a tumor, they're generating a microenvironment. And when going through that microenvironment, this 
this release of lactate, the lactate molecule itself may not actually matter that much. However, what is a, is a byproduct of this lactate is the release of hydrogen, specifically protons. So these protons, which are hydrogen atoms that have a slight alteration to their chemical structure or to their, to their chemistry, uh, these protons are released into the extracellular environment, into this microenvironment. And that is actually a byproduct of this anaerobic glycolysis. So let me relate this back to something that you've experienced. If you've ever walked upstairs, uh, if you're not into exercising, if you walked upstairs, you feel this burning sensation. Uh, that is because of this buildup of these protons uh, that are being produced by your muscle cells. And it's not like they want to do that, but they have to because they have to go through this particular metabolic pathway. Well, the same thing with cancer. It may not be to the same degree, of course, but uh, just enough that the release of these protons into the microenvironment actually decreases the pH, meaning that it increases the acidity of that microenvironment. So the benefit of this acidosis, the, the building of uh, acidity, uh, can weaken the surrounding structural microenvironment, leading to an easier invasion by releasing these hydrogen ions, which are the protons, into the surrounding area. So the, the cancer cells, if they weaken the environment around them, especially around the normal tissue as they're continuing to invade into the, to the rest of the body, they can weaken that, that normal microenvironment by decreasing the pH, increasing the acidosis, increasing the acidity, and therefore weaken that area and then enter that area and start to continue to proliferate, to continue to, to grow into that environment. Also, by outcompeting the immune cells that might enter the tumor and try to destroy it for resources, they can limit the functionality of the tumor uh, infiltrating lymphocytes, lymphocytes being uh, particular immune cells. So this is supported actually by research where they fed lymphocytes more glucose and they increased their ability to destroy the tumor. So this is a little bit going back to the outcompeting the other cells, but instead of necessarily the, the normal environment, specifically the immune cells that are attracted to the tumor and then are trying to destroy the tumor, but they're, they're, it's like they're firefighters almost. They're in a burning building and they can't breathe either. Uh, so in that situation, without the oxygen or without the substrate in this situation, glucose, uh, they're going to be functioning at a far lessened capacity. Uh, it's like if you were to not eat and then try to compete in a marathon by comparison to somebody who gets all the food and they, they also get to compete in the marathon, well, you're probably going to do worse uh, because you were cut off from being able to have the nutrients that you needed to uh, fulfill that, that function, that marathon training or competition. Okay, so that's hypothesis number three. Hypothesis number four, cell signaling. This is an intricate one, so bear with me. I'm not going to go into it too, too much into detail because I don't want this to be too, too long. But uh, it's possible that the cancer cells 
go through this Warburg effect where they take up a lot of glucose because they want to change the signaling within themselves and to other cancer cells. So what's possible is what's, and I'm going to really try to keep this uh, relatively general because this is get, get, we're getting into some, uh, some biochemistry here. It's possible that the, the levels of certain molecules within the cells known as NAD and NADH, uh, that actually has an impact on the cell. The, the cell will react to the proportion of each one of those particular molecules. So if you have a lot of NADH and very little NAD or very, a lot of NAD and very little NADH, because those two are very dependent on one another, then um, that can lead to changes within the cell. The cell will react a certain way. So it's possible that with glycolysis running, the anaerobic glycolysis I mentioned earlier, that the production of lactate actually requires NADH, which would mean that then NADH levels would decrease. And that can actually, and the NADH production is, is produced by a shuttle within our cells, even in normal cells as well, which is uh, known as the malate aspartate shuttle. And that allows for the, the reintroduction of these molecules. So then NAD is then used in glycolysis as well. So this balance of these two molecules can lead to changes in signaling within the cell. And I didn't actually go into the specifics of what that signaling might be, but there's all kinds of different things that it would affect. I mean, these are really important molecules. So also de novo serine metabolism. Remember how I mentioned that certain amino acids can be produced? Well, serine is one of them. So our cells have the ability, just like cancer cells have the ability to generate serine, which I believe gets converted to cysteine, but I'm not entirely, don't quote me on that. Um, and it can ultimately lead to the generation of other molecules that are necessary for the production of like DNA, for example. Uh, so they can generate what are known as NADPH. So instead of NADH, NADPH and glutathione. And I've spoken on glutathione before. Glutathione actually reduces reactive oxygen species. So reactive oxygen species are uh, molecules that are quote unquote unhappy. They're, they're in an unstable state. So they, they do damage to other molecules around them until they kind of satisfy what they need in, in terms of a molecular structure. So these reactive oxygen species, although they're generally considered a negative, uh, they can actually have positive impact. Your cells use reactive oxygen species as a way to signal within itself as well. So glutathione comes in and actually neutralizes reactive oxygen species. So if you have tons of ROS, reactive oxygen species, then you have potentially more damage being done to the cells. So the cancer can also be taking up all of this glucose because it wants to generate more glutathione to kind of neutralize these, uh, these uh, reactive oxygen species. Another possibility, and I do have a graphic for this, um, another possibility is that glucose can be taken up, go through glycolysis, and the end product, instead of going through lactate, 
Some of it could actually be going into the mitochondrion, where you get the production of acetyl-CoA, which is another molecule. I'm not going to go into it, but ultimately, it's possible that glucose can be converted to acetyl-CoA. Now, acetyl-CoA can be used by particular enzymes to stick tags on these structures that are found within our nucleus of our cells. Within the nucleus of our cells are, are the majority of our genes. The majority of our DNA is kept right there. So all of these blueprints on how to make different uh, proteins and things like that are found in the nucleus. So these structures known as histones are these proteins that have DNA wrapped all around them. And if they're, if they're too close together, so you have a histone, then you have DNA wrapped around it, then you have a little bit of string of DNA that's kind of open and, and can, be, can be worked with, meaning enzymes can bind to it and read it and do everything that they need to. And then you have another histone that has DNA wrapped around it and then so on and so forth. So it's like a string and kind of like a coil, actually. It's a great example, a coil. And the coil is always around these proteins, these histones. So what, what acetyl-CoA can be used for is to use acetyl-CoA by slapping it onto these histones or slapping it onto this DNA. And known and that process is called acetylation. So with acetylation, what it does is because the acetyl, the, the, the acetylation tag itself is a negative charge. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much of that, but think of like magnets, right? You put two negative charges, you try to combine them, they repel one another. That's the exact same process here. The, the negative charge of one acetyl, of one acetylated histone repels the negative charge of another acetylated histone. So what that leads is an opening of the DNA that leads to an opening of these enzymes that can then infiltrate and attach themselves to the DNA and start reading the DNA. Now, why might that be beneficial? Well, if you have cancer cells that are trying to grow as quickly as they possibly can, you would think that they would want to access the DNA as much as they possibly can because they want to produce more of these enzymes and they want to produce all the necessary proteins to then undergo the process of mitosis, which is the splitting of one cell into another cell, making daughter cells, making new cancer cells. So if you, if, if you have cancer, the cells are dividing as quickly as they possibly can. And the only way they're going to be able to do that is that they can access the DNA. So this taking up of glucose can lead to a greater uh, production of acetyl-CoA, which can then be used to open the DNA up and for then the eventual production of these enzymes and proteins and everything else that needs to be made for a new cell to, to be produced. Okay, that was hypothesis number four. That was, that was a lot. Uh, so in conclusion, there are a number of potential reasons 
There are a number of potential reasons cancer cells switch to glucose metabolism from the speed of, of ATP generation. So remember outcompeting nearby cells, the healthy tissues to the biosynthesis of raw materials, talking about the product, the, the taking up of glucose to, to get the carbons, the carbon atoms, making a competitive microenvironment by lowering the pH, increasing acidosis, uh, to, cha to changes in cell signaling, which is what we just went over, that depend on an upregulated glycolysis. So again, taking up so much glucose. However, all of these hypotheses have their issues. I didn't go into any of them, but they all have their issues. And if you'd like to read into some of those issues, uh, you feel free to brave uh, to brave that. I will have it linked for you, the, uh, the review for you. Uh, so it could be a combination of, of all four of these, right? Or it could be none of them. So they're, they're plausible in certain respects, but uh, it, we're not 100% certain that this is, you know, these are definitely the reason why. You know, it's not like you can, it's not like you can interrogate a cancer cell and be like, hey, so why do you use glucose? Tell us now or we'll zap you. <laughs> this isn't like a torture situation, you know? Uh, so... <laughs> We can't ask these questions. I mean, we have to probe and just kind of test these hypotheses from a biochemical standpoint, uh, from a cellular, cellular standpoint, from a molecular standpoint. But um, so we're still trying to figure this out. But some of the, I mean, these hypotheses certainly make a lot of sense, uh, aside from a few of their drawbacks. So hopefully you found this informative. I, I you know, again, I just want to point out that if you have cancer, which I'm sorry that you do, but if you have cancer, cutting out carbs is not is not absolutely the definitive reason, like the definitive solution to this problem because of the Warburg effect. There's a lot more to cancer than just metabolism. And you, this is coming from a guy who who does like a massive amount of metabolism work. Uh, so I'm actually going against my own field and saying like metabolism is super interesting, super important but it's not everything. Okay. So I, I just don't want you to walk away from this thinking like, well, then I'll cut my carbs and done. <laughs> Cancer's gone. In for certain cancers, it can be beneficial. You should talk to your physician about that. You should talk to a, a researcher that knows about that particular type of cancer. But for a lot of other cancers, it's not beneficial at all. It might even be detrimental. So just wanted to harp on that one more time because I think it's really important. Okay, hopefully you found this informative, and uh, thanks for stopping by, and I will uh, catch you next time. Have a good one. See ya.